to welcome four-time Emmy Award-winning host Alan Hahn to the show. You may know him from Barton Hahn on 98.7, his Newsday days, or even MSG Networks with the Knicks. The one and only Alan Hahn. Alan Hahn, how are you doing today, man? Good, good. Good to be here with you. Mm -hmm. Of course, man. I appreciate it. I'm sure that you're caught up on all the Knicks news, but the latest uh, with the Nets signing Paul Millsap, and they're on their way to signing LaMarcus Aldridge here now. The Millsap one is a, I mean, that's a good get. I couldn't believe he, he was left unsigned. Um, I know he's, you know, he's not as young as he used to be, obviously. He's been in the league such a long time, but he's talking about another quality guy to have, not just on your bench or in your rotation, but in your locker room. You know, they had him. And the LaMarcus Aldridge story, um, I mean, I'd be real hesitant. I know he's been cleared, but, you know, and I, I, I love the fact that he's so passionate about the game. He wants to come back. But that, you know, I worry. You just can't help watch a player like that and just say to yourself, I just, I just, I hope that he's going to be fine, right? Like, you just yeah. don't want to know that. But I don't think he would take the risk if doctors told him, no, whatever it was, they were able to figure it out and manage it and, and he'll be all right. But now that, I mean, they're stacking up. I mean, teams like this, when you've got a bunch of stars like they do, and guys look and they, they, <laughs> especially veterans, they want to get a ring. You go to those places like this where you see that they've got some dudes that should be in the finals come June. They're one of those teams just like the Lakers. You know, we laugh about how old the Lakers are, but that's why guys like that all say, get me to that team. I'll help them win. I don't have to play a ton, but I know what to do to help them win. And so if you're going to ask me to predict the finals in, in August or September, I, I think Nets, Nets Lakers is – has got to be what everybody's believing will be the matchup. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. And the Knicks, I'm, I'm reading the rumors online of them. I don't know how true it is, but there was this report I read online that Ben Simmons would be the perfect trade to the Knicks. I just, I don't want him. I do not want Ben Simmons at all. We saw his playoff report performance this year. He's just not the right guy for the Knicks. Well, I, I don't know who, where that's coming from. Um, I don't, I don't believe that there's great interest in him. Um, I don't know anything, you know, firsthand, but if you, if you ask me, do you think that they'd be interested in making a deal like that? I would tell you probably not No, for several reasons. Um, I mean, obviously you think, well, he's a great defensive player. So Tom Thibodeau would love that, but the last thing the Knicks need is a non-shooter. You know, they need shooters. They need spacers. And the way they're built now, it's Julius really has the ball in his hands a lot. Fournier is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And Kemba's a guy that's, you know, ball dominant. Derrick Rose, ball dominant. If, if Ben Simmons isn't ball dominant as a playmaker, then he can't be a spacer. No. We certainly learned that. So just I don't see the fit. I think some people get caught up in the idea that the Knicks are searching for a star to trade for, and so they're just jumping on that. But if, if you're asking me, I don't – I always use this phrase, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't think – I don't see any smoke there. No, I, I don't either, and I, and I really hope that's just a rumor and just some, something that someone's making up here, a Ben Simmons fan or something. But I also read this like morning said, that, like I said, I'd tell you, I would, I would tell you if I felt like there was something there. I don't, I don't see it. I also read this morning that Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson are going to be competing for that starting center spot. In my opinion, I think Nerlens Noel should start because Mitchell Robinson, to me, I think they should have dumped them this offseason in a trade to get Miles Turner. I'm not a big Mitchell Robinson fan. I think this guy is getting too coddled by this Knicks team. 
I, I get that people have high hopes for him, but I just don't see anything there. And it's the same way you thought of Frank Nilakina. I'm I'm on that train with you, by the way. The the Frank Nilakina love is just out of control. It's similar to how Sam Darnold was with the Jets. These fans are just delusional. I just feel the same way about Mitchell Robinson. I think Nerlens Noel, he really came in there and substituted for Mitchell Robinson when he went down, and he did a very well job. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's 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 begin with how Frank Nilakina is not signed by anybody yet. So <laughs> you know uh, that that tells you a lot, doesn't it? It does. Um, you know uh, who else? Who else are they going to blame now? Yeah. As far as as far as the um, Mitchell Robinson though. Uh, I completely disagree. I think really? Mitchell okay. Robinson. Yeah. I, I think he's your starter. I think he's, he's got better hands. He's bigger and stronger uh, than, than Nerlens Noel. I think Nerlens Noel did a nice job as a starter, but was exposed in the playoffs by Clint Capella. He just wasn't strong enough to handle Clint Capella. He just couldn't do it. Now Nerlens Noel is a, is a warrior and a, a battler and he's tough and he's not giving up layups, all the stuff you love about him but he's a non-offensive player absolute non-offensive player and you can't have that in high level games you've got to have somebody that can catch lobs you gotta have somebody that can give you offensive rebounds puts back so you, you've got to have that guy and on top of it i mean mitchell robinson before he got hurt was showing he blocks threes he can close out he he, he also can get you at the rim you know, he gets hurt, which that's that's the part that worries me. Now, when yeah. you say dump him, I, there's no way I'm dumping him. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I would be adverse to trading him. And the only reason why I say that is because he wants to get paid. He's going to be due to get paid. And because I don't know about his durability and also don't know, like, where he is mentally as far as are you a team player that understands this is your role? It's always going to be this. It's never going to change. Like while you're here playing for Tom Thibodeau, you're going to be Joe Kim Noah. You're going to be Al Horford. Like that's who you are. So I don't want to hear about touches. I don't want to hear about post. Like I love when fans is, I need, you need to get Mitchell Robinson in the post, get him to do some more post moves. I need to see Mitchell Robinson shoot threes. No, you don't. No, I don't need to see that. I just need to see Mitchell Robinson cleaning up the messes, getting offensive rebounds, doing everything that Clint Capella does. That's mm -hmm. what I need you to do. If you could do that, then I'm going to pay you. But I'm going to pay you that scale, not obviously what, what you might think you should be paid. So he's good with that. And I know that focused, show up, work out. Like, this is a team of gym rats. I, and I'm a long time. This group, I genuinely believe them when I talk to each one of them about this team. Like, they are gym rats. They are basketball players first. It's all they care about. It's what they want to be. It's what they want to do. And they just, they're in the gym all the time. Is Mitchell Robinson a gym rat? Does he love basketball? Because if you don't fit in that way, then you know, yeah, I don't know if you're going to be part of this. So I've got to watch that this year. And then I make my decision. Am I, am I willing to give him that contract extension and pay him? Or should I at the trade deadline move him because I just don't feel like he fits the culture here, which I have this culture of gym rats. That's the only reason why I would trade him, but I would trade him. I would try to sell hot. Definitely don't want to dump him. And I, and Miles Turner, you know, would be 
certainly a guy that can stretch, play defense, toughness. But he's another guy that gets hurt a lot too. He does. So, you know, I'm not – yeah, I, I like that's not one where I'm, I would – I wouldn't run to the post office with a deal like that. Like I'm not, I'm not running to make that deal happen, but I'm not completely against the idea of not sure if I want to give him a contract extension and pay him or if I want to try to use my use the value I can find. Because that kid, Jericho Sims, sounds crazy because I know he's picked pick 58 out of 60. But I watched him enough in summer league, the way he moved, his his instincts, agility, all the little things, not, not what he did, not stats, just the way he moved. I was like, I could do something with that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something you can do with that. And if I have to move on from Mitch, let me see if I can get this kid to a place – that is close enough to what Mitch brings, and I have Nerlens Noel. And I think they did well in the offseason, especially with the the draft, because you bring in Quentin yep. Grimes, Miles McBride. These guys were averaging 15 points a game, and they were really explosive, shooting the three. This is a great rookie draft class that we have here. So far, what we've seen in the summer league is they went four and two. In the past, we've had all these drafts with Frank, and Kevin Knox is still here. I can't wait till he's gone. And we can just move on and build this winning culture that the Knicks have developed this year, all because of Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rolls, this new, this new culture that they built out of nowhere. I like this. I like the rookies that they got, the, the, the draft picks that they got, because they're very similar in that their collective, um, the, the thing that they, they all share is this, this toughness about them. They're all very, like the two of them, both the McBride, uh, and Grimes are strong. Like, you know, you're not waiting for them. Well, they're, they got to get man strength. Like, how many times have they said that about some of the, the Nick rookies? Well, wait till he gets his man strength, you know, whether it's about Frank or even Kevin. We're still waiting Chris for Kevin to get his on. man strength. Yeah, same thing. You're right. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that, that to me, you know, you're, you, that's a young team and you're waiting for them to grow up. I think these two are physically ready to play in the league. Now, it's going to take, I don't, I don't see how they play to be honest with you, which that's going to upset people. But when you look at the, 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 the lineup that they, they're, they're going to have there and the rotation they potentially could have, I just don't see a place for them to play on a regular basis, no. but that doesn't mean that they can't over time. And of course, you know, injuries do happen that they will eventually, you know, have a place to play because you could see how they'll fit. They fit exactly the way that a, a coach like Tom Thibodeau would want to play. They get after it. Uh, again, I think the toughness part is the part that really excites me the most. They both can shoot the three. So can't wait to see them play. Yeah. Oh, but I just I'm love that. That's what they, and then you add, you add RJ Barrett, who is still young and he's also strong. And now third year, ready to take that. Like to me, you know, year one, you're, you're figuring it out year two. You start to understand what you're supposed to do, but you're still trying to find yourself. Year three, okay, I'm arriving now. Like, the year three is when you announce your arrival, where the league goes, okay, this guy's a pro. You know, and that's the big year for RJ as a third overall pick. It's the year where he gets the whole league to recognize, like, yeah, this, this kid can ball. Like, all right, he's good. And when you think Knicks, you think RJ Barrett, you know, is, is one of the names that immediately comes to mind. Big year for him, but also similar to the two rookies, physically strong kid, uh, not afraid. And, you know, the, the toughness factor that I think is going to be the element that the Knicks kind of uses their identity, which has been a long time since we've been able to say that. 
We can also talk about the level up of Ovi Toppin in the summer league this year. Do you think this is going to translate into the into the regular season? Because that's what I'm hoping. If we get the Ovi Toppin that we see in summer league, oh, this young team is going to be probably the youngest, best team in the NBA if this translates. I, I, I you know, I, I just I thought he looked great, but it's summer league, so you don't want to put too much into it because you know he's 24. Um. He should not like that's what you like. He and quickly, quickly also had a even though he didn't shoot the ball great, I thought he had a really good, you know, playmaking summer league. I thought he like he, he was completely in command, never looked like he was overwhelmed. Like, like here's a great for instance you brought up Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox's second summer league, right? Game one, he and Zion are, are, are like he comes down with a rebound, Zion grabs it out of his hands. They have like a jump ball situation and Zion just tears it out of his hands and dunks on him. And you're like, like, dude, like, like how are you letting that happen? You know, like that shouldn't happen for a no. second year player. Like you've already played in the league for a year. This guy's coming out of college and, and he just rips the ball out of your hands and dunks it on you. So I was watching Obi and quick and I was saying, all right, let's see how they look. They never had a summer league. Now let's see how they look after a full NBA season. And they played like you're supposed to. Walk in there. I know what I'm doing. Complete control, complete confidence. They weren't perfect, but they were trying stuff. And I just love the way Obi moves. He's just confident, comfortable. My biggest question is now that Julius has the extension, where does he fit? Yeah. Where does he fit? How much playing time is he going to get? Like, how much can you really benefit from having a kid like this at that position when you've already got somebody else and you're paying him a ton of money playing that position? So, I, I love him. I just wonder if he's you're being groomed to be a you know a, a big piece in what will be a you know a big trade for you know a, a you know star level type player in the future. You know that's the thing. And then, so what you do is you just keep trying to get him better. And when he does play, if he can show out, you start getting some scouts going. Whoa, whoa that kid, if that kid starts somewhere else. He's gonna be a, you know he's gonna be a stud. Yeah. So. That's what I hope for him, but I just don't know how he fits with Julius. It's going to be interesting to see. Now, we, when we bring up star players with the Knicks, you know the Knicks, they never get a star. We Julius Randle became the most approved player in the NBA last year. He became an all-star instantly. That's our star. We still need more players. Who do you see as that all-star that we could trade for in the, in the future? Because you had the rumors with Damian Lillard. Who knows if that is ever yeah. going to happen? Who do you see the Knicks pulling in here eventually with the, via trade? What uh, do you think? That's the guy. I mean, uh, to me, it's, you know, Dame, it, it, that's the first name on the list and it stays on that list until, until he decides, or he says publicly, I am, you know, I'm retiring here. I'm never going to, I never going to ask for a trade, you know, uh, un, until, until that happens. And I don't think still will believe him. I just don't, I just don't see it. Like he's, his name has been there for like a year and a half now. And it's even, even now he's sort of leaving the door open because he's not thrilled about where Portland's headed. No. They have made some changes. They're, they're in the West. They're just look at them versus the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, Dallas. Uh, you know, just look at those teams. Mm-hmm. How are they going to be a championship contender? They, they're not. No, so it's impossible. If, if, the Knicks, if the Knicks can show anything, and then he sees like, wow, if I went there, you know, even though the East has gotten a lot better, obviously Brooklyn, you know, is, is a, a tough team, Miami, a tough team, but, you know, come, come to New York and 
you know, try to win a championship here where you'll be a God. Is there a part of him that will finally, like, like Kevin Garnett was in the same place with Minnesota in 2007, Mm -hmm. where they just, that run ended for them. You know, they were a really good team, the Timberwolves, you know, for the big early part of the 2000s, you know, he would Wally Zerbiak, then he would Steph Marbury. Like they, they were a, that was a good team, but they just didn't get over the top. And then they went through, you know, rebuild and they got young and they just weren't good. And it just, things were going south. They had to tell him, like Kevin McHale had to say to him, we're not going to be able to build a championship team around you. We've, we've got to move on from you. Like you've got, you know, you've got to, you've got to accept it. And he finally accepted the trade to Boston and he'll later tell you it was the best thing that ever happened to him. But Garnett never wanted to ask for a trade, no matter how many times people told him, you got to get out of there. He never wanted to do that because he was such a loyal guy. It's the same thing with Lillard. He's too loyal. just doesn't want to be the guy that, you know, forces himself out of somewhere. He just doesn't like the way that looks. Garnett eventually had to be convinced to do it. I'm waiting to see if, if Dame eventually gets convinced to do it because the clock's ticking. He's not getting any younger. So if he doesn't do it in the next year, I don't know how much anybody would want to go after a guy like later on, you know, in his career to win a championship. Yeah. He's currently 31. And it's the, the clock is ticking as we would say. Yeah. It really yeah. is. It's insane. They really got to make that move if it's going to happen. He's got to have the say on it. And with the Knicks going on here, I'm looking forward to the upcoming season. Evan Fournier. Now, mind you, when they got Evan Fournier, I thought that was the only deal that the Knicks were going to do this summer because they were so quiet right after they signed him for a day. And then all of a sudden you wake up and, and then they have Kemba Walker. The trade comes out of nowhere. It was so unexpected. Yeah, that one, I mean, the, the Fournier pickup, I, you know, I got to be honest with you, like, I heard about it. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I was the same way. Not, yeah, like, it, it it wasn't one that by itself had me excited. Like, you know, like, that's not one of those things where you're like, oh, wow, all right, this is, you know, it's going to get real. Like, I was just like, ah, all right, like, all right. You know, it'd be like when people were telling me about, Dennis Schroeder like oh they might target Dennis Schroeder I'm like god no please no like you know I don't I just don't see that as a fit doesn't excite me um but then Fournier I heard about and I'm like I mean all right you know but I'm not am I am I fired up am I running to the box office to buy opening night tickets no but when you put it in the group like that you put it in where it's like well it's it's not him it's also bringing back D Rose bringing back Burks who was such a valuable piece you know getting Julius under contract, Nerlens Noel back. Like when you put it in that context and then you add Kemba, who he and Rose is like having one point guard, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the idea is you've got two guys that obviously you're going to have to manage their minutes, but both of them are similar in that they, they can just, they can beat anybody off the dribble. They can score and, you know, so that you don't change the way you play depending on who's in the game. It doesn't change. Like when Alfred Payton came in, it was a much different looking lineup than when Derrick Rose was in. It just looked different. But this way, it doesn't. Whether it's Rose or Kemet, it's the same thing. So that, I put that, and then Fournier, all right, so he starts the floor. He can shoot the three, tough guy. You know, not a great defender, but he can score. So it's another guy that can create for himself. And you're like, all right, put all that together. Now I kind of like it. I kind of like the group versus 
adding Evan Fournier to the Knicks, does that excite you? No, but adding Evan Fournier with Kemba, with the return of, you know, four key uh, core players from last year's team. Okay. And then these rooks. Okay. I kind of like this. So that's, that's how I looked at it. I agree. And I'm looking forward to the upcoming season. Do you think they stay in the fourth seed? Do they move up or they go down? Because you have other teams in the conference that got better, such as Miami. Yeah, power rank them for me. Uh, because as we know, it's it's top. I mean, it's top, top. Top six is what matters most, right? I mean, eight makes the playoffs. But really, it's 10 that matter as far as postseason. So if you give me your top six on paper, after uh, after free agency on the draft, I think it's obviously Brooklyn one. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, everybody loves Philly. What are they going to do with Ben Simmons? Where is that going? And who are they getting? What are they getting for him? And how does that impact them? Right. So I can't put Philly two. No, Milwaukee. I, got, like, who them put, two? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Milwaukee deserves to be two as the defending champs. Right. Mm-hmm. Am I putting Philly three over Miami? Miami's older. I mean, they're tougher, but they're older, not as deep. You know, do I do I love them more than I love Philly? Philly's a big question mark team. So, but, but I'll put them three and four, and you can figure out which way you want to go with it. Mm-hmm. Where am I putting Boston? Did they get better? I don't know if they got better, but they still have two all-stars in Tatum and Brown. Right. They don't really have a guard, right? They don't really have, like, a, a legit starting guard. They're not that deep, but and, – and they've they obviously have changed their coaching. They've changed everything there. But they still have two all-stars. When you have two all-stars, you're good. So, are they fifth? Okay. All right, now who's next? I mean, that's where you go, well, the Bulls just the added – Bulls, Lonzo, Lonzo Ball, Ball, DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan. They already made the trade for Vucevic during the season. Even though that didn't pl- pl- play out to a playoff, you know, that's still – you got Zach Levine – you know, Vucevic, double-double machine, DeRozan, mid-range killer, you know, and Alonzo Ball, a playmaker, their bench suddenly gets better because guys that were starting now don't have to. So that's a – I mean, that's a good team and a deep team. And they're well-coached, Billy Donovan. So yeah. I think that's where the Knicks go. The Knicks kind of go in that five, five, six mosh pit with Boston, Chicago, Knicks, you know, maybe Pacers – now that they'll be coached well, Rick Carlisle is a terrific coach. They've got a good roster. They just were banged up last year. That's right. So I think those four teams, to me, am I missing anyone? Am I overlooking a team? Don't tell me Toronto. No, it's not you know, Toronto. So, you know, yeah. So I, I'm I'm kind of going with those four teams as your five. You know, who are your five? Who are your six? And then who's going to have to sit in the seven ten play in? Right. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm looking. At. Yeah. And I agree with you on that, but I want to cross over because on Twitter the other day, you retweeted the NFL page, putting Zach Wilson up as the picture on, on their background of the profile for their banner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think from what I've seen, I think this is going to be the quarterback for the jets. I was never a Darnold fan. He gets all this love. Let's see him actually perform on the field. Everyone went Google Gaga over his preseason performance. The other game there when he threw his two touchdowns, he looks like the same player to me. There's just nothing that has progressed there to me, the way Wilson, processes the field his footwork his ability to move in and outside the pocket this is the guy for the Jets and out of all the quarterbacks he did shine the most in my opinion well my concern is and I I've I've been with him in person Mm -hmm. he's so small 
Yeah. Like, I mean, not just short, like he, he's not tall and he's not like Baker Mayfield isn't tall, but he's, you know, he's a strongly built guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I look at Baker Mayfield. I'm like, ah, oh, he could take it. I'm sure he could take a hit. You know, like I look at this kid and I think you better build a wall around him. Like I, like he, I don't know. Can he even one sack I worry about because he just isn't, he looks like he's 15, like physically a 15 year old. Like he just doesn't physically look like a strong quarterback and that's my my fear is i just don't want him you know is he going to be somebody that's got all this talent but you know every every time he gets hit like you worry is he going to be hurt and be out for a couple of weeks like that's why i really worry about their their backup quarterback situation scares me more than anything like honestly like it just scares me more than anything yeah. because i get how to you know how can you not have a safety net behind him mike white like that's yeah, what you're white. doing so, so like, you know, that, that's the thing. Do I think he's got talent? I'm not smart enough to know based on what I saw at BYU, a pro day and preseason in the NFL. Cause I'm old enough to remember when the jets had a, a rookie quarterback named Browning Nagel and he had a rocket of an arm. This is in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had an absolute rocket. He went five and zero in the preseason. And, and I mean, I was, I was probably your age and I was like, Oh my God, like this, yeah, we got a stud now. We got the, you know, the next Joe Namath. This is going to be great. He won five preseason games. You know how many regular season games he won? How many regular season? It wasn't much because this was right after Kenny O'Brien, I believe. Correct. He, yeah, they, they won four games that season. Yeah. So, you know, that's, the, that's why it's so hard for me to buy into preseason and what I saw. So I can't, from what I see, I can't, I have no idea. But I listen to experts. And I don't even want to trust them because Tony Romo's telling me that he reminds him of Patrick Mahomes and he'll be a top three to five quarterback in the NFL soon that I've got Teddy Bruschi saying he should be one of, he should push for rookie offensive rookie of the year. Okay. Then I have, Sims raving about him. I've got Aaron Rodgers. Okay, like, like, so I've got that going. Rave his potential, what he shows on tape, the way he can throw the football, what he sees, how he processes, all that stuff. So I have to trust that they know what the hell they're looking at. Mm-hmm. So what all I know is, all right, all that's great, but if they don't protect him and he gets hit, I worry about this guy being that guy that everybody says, well, he really would have been good if that didn't happen meaning an injury getting sacked something that you have to protect him that's my fear but I, I can't wait to see him play in live action because there's been so much hype about him way more hype than sam Darnold, by the way way more hype than sam Darnold. real oh, oh that's a way more hype than no, sam Darnold. i feel like no. Darnold, Darnold gets all this love he's still that you see all these reporters they coddle this guy he hasn't done well, that's anything. a report but, uh, that's but that's reporters like that's a different thing no one said no one said Sam Darnold was going to be a Patrick Mahomes or a top five quarterback. Everybody said that he'll be good. He's fine. Like I, I watched him a lot at USC. He made mistakes. He turned the ball over. He, you know, he had those kind of issues that you just felt like, well, okay, he's he's not a legendary quarterback, but 
you know, could the Jets, you know, could the Jets have gotten a guy that, by the way, fell in their lap? You didn't think he was going to be there. I mean, the Giants taking uh, Saquon Barkley changed everything. So I, I, and funny thing is, is all along, I was like, I hope, I hope the Jets take Josh Allen because I watched a lot of Wyoming football because I'm a lunatic. And I thought, you know, that's the guy that the Jets should have taken. But Sam Donald was there. I'm like, I don't know. You take Sam then because, you know, there was this feeling that Sam was, had all the potential to be a good NFL quarterback. There was no one in that draft, which is so funny. No one, there was no one that was considered legendary in that draft. Not Baker, not Sam, not Josh, not Lamar, certainly not Josh Rosen. Nobody Uh saw those quarterbacks as legendary. They just thought this is a good quarterback draft, but this wasn't the 83 draft. This wasn't the the 04. This was just a good one. Just happened to have a lot of good quarterbacks, but this last this past year with the five that went in the first round, this one could be legendary. And if the Jets got even the second best quarterback in this draft, then that's something that they haven't been able to say since, you know, again, you go all the way back to whether it's Ken O'Brien or, or, uh, Namath. Obviously, Joe Namath. So I'm just excited to see what he can be, but I'm going to watch nervously because I, I want to make sure they protect him. But I do think he's getting way more hype from experts than Sam ever got. You might think that there was a lot of like media, meaning writers, but I'm talking about people who actually know, like, like analysts. When I hear from people that play the NFL that watch him and they're like, no, 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 this, this guy's special. I'm like, what, you know, really? Like he's special. Like you think so? That's hype to me that I've never heard about a jet quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've never heard that either. That's a good point you bring up. But my thing is when I still hear on draft night, Mel Kuyper and these guys going up and hyping Darnold, it's like... I oh, they love Sam. Yeah, they, they love Sam. I don't know what, what it is. They're, they're watching a different TV set than me. It's like Frank Nilakina. I really don't know what, what TV set they're watching. <laughs> but I'm glad he's gone. He's All off right. in Carolina. And we have Zach Wilson. Right. And, and we move forward because I just... I'm done with the Sam era. It was a waste of three years. You could blame Gage, but you, Donald didn't progress. Again, he had a horrible coach. He didn't have that great of a roster. Bad offensive still. line. Bad offensive line. Not a lot of skilled players who could get separation. I mean, you've got Corey Davis. I mean, you've got some legit guys who, like the, for him to throw to versus what Sam had to throw to. You know, they let Robbie Anderson go. It's the one target he did have. Mm-hmm. Denzel Mims hardly played. I don't know, man. Like, I... I I, I Sam Sam didn't live up to being picked three, third overall. He didn't live up to that. No. But there was a lot of factors around him that didn't allow him to be successful. Now we'll watch. And does Matt Rule in Carolina? Do they do they do the right thing around him? He's got Christian McCaffrey. Like, do they do the right things around him for him to succeed? And if he sucks there, then your theory is right. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure they'll make another excuse for him. They'll they'll blame the the, the offensive coordinator system. They'll do something to coddle right. this, this pretty boy. They're gonna do it. And, right. and and then I I I want to be right because I didn't want him. Here's the thing: I wanted Baker Mayfield first, and I wanted Josh Allen second in that draft. And they went with yep. Sam. I was the only Jet fan that was just. I woke up the next day. I couldn't even sleep that night. I didn't want him. I, he didn't impress me at USC. You 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 report right. it. You see it. He struggled at USC. He was making mistakes. I didn't see, oh, the suck for Sam trade. Well, we still suck with Sam. So let's move on, dump him. He's in Carolina now. I just want to see it happen. (laughs) All right. Got the Zach attack now.
Yeah. We'll see that, yeah. Let's see. Maybe they can prove me wrong uh, with, with that one, but we'll see. Let's give it a, let's give him three years like we did Sam, but I want to move on because this is your interview. I want to get into your broadcasting career uh, of going to LIU post and then going in the Newsday because eventually you were a basketball player. You got, you got, the scholarship to college at LIU Post to play Division II varsity basketball. You wrote for the, the school paper, the Pioneer, and then all the way, and eventually meet Tom Rock, who works with Newsday, and that's how your Newsday starts. And actually, you learned how to read when you were younger by reading the Newsday headlines. Yeah, it's, my mom tells that story when I was little. Because, um, I mean, again, in the dark ages when I was born, there was, you know, it wasn't ESPN, there wasn't, internet and you know there certainly wasn't cell phones where you got all your stuff on that no apps to play with uh you know a newspaper was on the kitchen table and i'm a toddler and so i look at the pictures and i see you know i see sports and i always liked that as a little kid so little by little i'm sounding out headlines about you know the yankees uh, you know the mets um you know jets giants all that stuff and then um just again a lot of the it just was something I just did I just would read the paper so the fact that I ended up writing for that paper was such a cool thing like a full circle thing but you know being being a sports writer because even even in high school I liked to write but I still was delusional about maybe I didn't think I was good enough playing the NBA but I, I I thought you know I'll play overseas you know I'd love to play pro yeah I just what I wanted to do um so it wasn't like I was telling myself what I wanted to be when I grow up. It wasn't until I got to college where you had to major in something. And I thought, well, you know, if I don't make it and I, you know, that was also a time where you started seeing more and more athletes, um, you know, athletes in the booth, you know, covering games and stuff. And I never saw myself as somebody in broadcasting. I saw myself, I like to write. So that's, that was my whole thing is oh, I'll just be a beat writer and I'll cover, I'll cover the Knicks. And so I, you know, in college, I chose to do, to do that journalism and I wrote for the school paper during the off season. So I didn't cover, you know, my team, obviously I, I, what I did was I covered like the soccer team, the football team, the baseball team in the spring, like off season stuff. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. But once I got hurt and my career ended, and I was like, okay, I got to get real about this. And that's, you know, that's sort of when I got, I graduated and, you know, kind of made that pursuit into uh, sports writing. And as I mentioned, there wasn't like the internet was barely a thing when I graduated college. Certainly there was no dot coms that everybody could write for. There were no podcasts. Sports talk radio was one station, you know, that's it. Um, it just wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't something like today, what you see, it's, it's just, it was a different world. So all you thought, all I thought was, I'll be a, I'll be a sports writer. I'd love it. What a great life. I'll go, go to games, write about them, you know, just kind of, that's my life. And that's what I tried to pursue. But because it was such a small world and it was only, you know, X amount of newspapers in the country. And other than that, if you didn't write for a newspaper or a magazine, you, you weren't doing anything. No. And there was a lot of competition for those jobs. So you had to start small. I started at a weekly paper in the Hamptons covering local sports. And then I got into Newsday as a part-timer on the high school desk. And the way I got the job was I, 
they said, they asked me to tell me about yourself. And I said, um, if you go to your archives, you'll find my name. I was in this, I was in your sports section. I was a basketball player. And, you know, so they, they, they thought it was funny. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's, you know, we used to have you in the sports section and now, you know, you'll write for it. So it took me five years to get a full-time job at the paper, five years. And it started to just, you know, it went from there. So I went from being a beat writer. My first beat job was the Islanders. I loved hockey. So it was like a great thing to do. And it was a great experience. Then they promoted me to the Nick beat, which was my dream. And that's when it's just things started to open up because my whole thing was, and I don't go long winded, but I think a lot of, a lot of like guys, like your generation need to understand, like it, it you go into these careers with one plan and then you realize that it evolves as technology evolves, as your opportunities evolve and as you meet people. So I just always thought be a beat writer for like, you know, 20 years and then be a columnist and just live that life. Right. Mm -hmm. But the business changed. Nobody was going to be a columnist anymore. Like there were blogs. Now they were, you know, like there was more sports talk radio. There was, uh, you know, ESPN, you know, there were other channels. There was just a lot more coverage of sports than it used to be. And so it came my way when I was covering the Knicks and I was pretty, you know, fans really liked my coverage. And so I, I, I had a big following and I was used more and more on, on radio to talk about the Knicks and then talk about the NBA. And then MSG came along and they were like, Hey, you know, we want to use you. It's big summer 2010. Uh, you know, LeBron, the Knicks are chasing LeBron. You're covering a lot. So you have a lot of information. Do you want to come on our show? We're doing a summer show and you can, you know, give us, give us what you're learning. I was okay. So I did one show. I ended up doing it for the rest of the summer. It was only supposed to be one show. I, I loved it. It was fun. So then like a year later, they started using me for post game. And then they offered me the job to be on pre and post. And I'd have to leave the newspaper life, which was a scary thing to do at that time. Now it's like, yeah, smart, but I wasn't being smart. I, I just, I was, I thought it was taking a risk. So I did it. And, you know, that was, it's been awesome. I mean, I, I believe I'm, I think this is my 10th year at MSG coming up. Congratulations. And then, yeah, yeah. I say the same thing to myself. You made it. <laughs> um, but, but then the radio thing evolved too, because of, again, just coverage and being on as a guest. And it became, it became like, Hey, Oh, you seem to know about other sports too. Not just basketball. Like, yeah, I'm a sports fan. I love everything. So that became, well, all right, why don't you host here? Why don't you host there? And then, Little by little, it just kind of took off. So if you told me, the long-winded story is this. If you told me when I graduated college in 1993, hey, uh, you're going to be on ESPN on a national show as a host, I'd laugh at you. Like, no, I'm not. I hate my voice. I hate the way I look on TV. I'm self-conscious. Like, all that stuff. Like, I, like no, I, there's no way you'd ever get me to do that. But, you know, all those years later, it's everything I've been through and experienced and seen. That's where it's led me, you know, and, and that's kind of how it all, all comes together. It's, it's people you meet people that I played basketball with that I got to know in the NBA that allowed me to have some connections, uh, passion that I have for certain things. And, and a lot, a lot, a lot of practice, as I'm sure, you know, all the reps you could possibly get and emulating people that I think are great. And so all of that, led me to this point here 
where, you know, all these years later, I'm still telling myself, okay, what's the next challenge? What can I do next? Instead of telling myself, just do this, do this for the rest of your life and don't try anything else. This will be nice and easy. No, now I really want the challenges because it's more exciting. And you realize that the more things you experience, the more you know what you suck at and what you're good at. And you just keep trying to chase the things you're good at. So that's what I was trying to like, you know, I always try to tell that story because not everybody just has that. Well, I went to this college and I got a broadcasting degree and I spent three years in the, you know, the college station, college radio station or college TV station, learning all this stuff and got a job right out of college and worked my way up the ladder to where I am now. No, I, I literally am like, if you've ever seen Forrest Gump, I just like end up places and people are like, wait, didn't I just see you there? Like, what were you doing there? How? It just opportunities happen. I take them. I take on challenges and um, I encourage people to do that. that. That's really it. it. Don't don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't tell yourself this is all I'm going to be because your, your story gets rewritten every single day that you try something new. You're right about that. And in my opinion, the, the best host in sports, New York radio, in my opinion, and you deserve your flowers, man, especially with the Knicks. We, we love seeing you do the Knicks games, pre and post games, especially at the backdrop, too. You could tell you guys don't hide that you're Knicks fans when you're on there with Wally and Bill Pito. And you also have a pair of Ewings in the background, too. What was your first pair of Patrick Ewings? That that was it. Those those were those my, are the ones. I mean, that's yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I've had those forever. And, you know, Patrick loves it because he sees them like I, I showed it. I wore them one time and he loved it. But it's like, yeah, like, certain, like, I'm afraid to wear those. I don't like wearing them too much because I don't want to get them scuffed up. But, yeah, I have I have all, like, little memorabilia, little things that I have. And um, I don't think we're supposed to do – like, you're not supposed to hide passion, right? Yeah, no. People, you know, like, like when you're a reporter, that's – the thing I, I was most uncomfortable about being a, a reporter where you're in the media. Like, I don't, I don't consider myself media now. What I do is more like entertainment now. Like, you have fun with it and stuff. Like when I was an actual newspaper reporter and you were there for news and you were supposed to be unbiased, you had to stay, you know, you had to kind of stay down the middle. And, you know, I didn't like that because I'm more relationships person. So when, when you get into this side, you can co- go back into enjoying not being as much. I, like to say I'm a fan is like, I'm, I'm passionate. Like I, I, I enjoy this. I like the energy. So I encourage people to be passionate, whether you're mad like, you know, the joke a couple of times during this past season, how I broke a mug, I broke a remote, you know, like I've, I've had those moments and I'll show the remote on camera. Like, yeah, I just broke this remote or I just broke this mug because you're frustrated. I think it's relatable. Mm-hmm. You know, people like that. You know, I'm not trying to pretend that I don't care. Oh, I'm too, I'm too big for this. Like, yeah, I have no emotion about the team I'm covering losing. Of course I do. The team sucks. It's, you don't want to cover a team that sucks. You want to cover a team that's good because it's fun to cover a team that's good. So I always, I always joke around like when the team's bad, it's bad for my business. Mm-hmm. Who wants to read about a bad team? So no one, you know, like that's that. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's really what it's about. And uh, you know, I was just glad other people picked up on it because I, that's another, it's another dangerous place to go because you don't want to be a fan where you act like you do too much fan stuff. You want people to take you seriously and have credibility, but you also want to be relatable to a point that you admit like, yeah, I, that, yeah, they played bad and that bothered me. Yeah. 
because they should be better than this. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, trust me, the Atlanta Hawks game. I'm sure I've punched my couch a few times after the, those games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah uh, I was more. I'll tell you what, after game one, I was more mad at Frank than I was Trey. Everybody wanted to <laughs> yell about Trey doing doing his old ice cold thing and everything. I'm like, no, no, don't be mad at him. Be mad at the fact that the guy had one job. You had one job. Yeah. Don't let him go right. It's one job. That's all it is. Get him on his left. And oh, right. no, let's get him left. Like, so, so everybody's like, oh, Trey Young, he's acting all, he's making all these faces. I'm like, wouldn't you? Like, don't be mad at Trey Young. Be mad at your guy. Your guy, your guy, everybody said, oh, just play Frank and he'll, he'll shut him down. Okay, we played him. What happened? Yeah, well, so there's that overhypeness from the New York. I don't know. They watch different <laughs> than us. They really do. Some of these I, New York sports. I, I never understood it. I, I tried to be nice about it. And I had to, everybody, everybody was like, oh, you're a hater. All right, I'm a hater. I'm a realist. I'm a realist. <laughs> exactly. If, if you didn't know that Donovan Mitchell was the pick, then I don't know what you were looking at. Yeah, it sure as hell wasn't Frank. And Phil, thank God Phil Jackson isn't even a part of this team anymore in this organization. But 2000, yeah. we go back but, to your sports right in, in time, and you, and you won the Publishers Award, which was very important for your career. Yeah, that was like kind of, and that was my first year as a full-timer. Um, and the Islanders were terrible mm-hmm. when I covered them that year. But I covered them, again, that's a team I grew up with. So that's another example to you and others about passion. Like I said, when you cover a, no matter what it is, like you care about it. doesn't mean you're rooting all the time. Like you root for yourself because the story is you win when it's a good story, right? So you root for the story. And so I covered that team and it's people are like, oh, nobody wants to cover this team. They suck. You know, the, the glory days are gone. The Coliseum is, a, is depressing. No fans go there anymore. So it's like, yeah, nobody wants this beat. So you take it. So I was like, well, I want the beat and I'm going to cover this team like it should be which is it's the only Long Island team and they're a disaster and it needs to be pointed out. So I spent that whole season just like, I mean, I went nuts, like just ripping everybody. And, you know, I pointed out how bad the building is and how it's been left to to decay and I, all this stuff. And I was rewarded for basically what was readable coverage of a bad team. And, you know, that, that, but that was a big deal for me because I mean, I'm sure everybody can relate to this you do wonder especially when you've been a part-timer for five five years like am i ever going to make it like maybe i'm not cut out for this maybe i should get into something else because it's been five years you know i'm in my mid-20s and i still can't get a job so maybe i I, i'm not cut out for this so you get your shot now it's like all right i get my shot you want to show i want to prove that i'm good at this so when you get an award like that which publisher's award is like it's given to you're the you're considered you did the best job in your department so for the sports department that i got the publisher's award and that meant a lot to me i was the youngest beat writer that we had and it was my first year so that was a big deal to me that kind of told me all right you know what you're doing now now just keep doing it this way and uh you know that everybody needs that little bit of vote of confidence and that's what that was yeah a hundred percent. And congratulations on that accolade. That's one for one for the books right there. And then you get four Emmys with Friday night Knicks being on that set covering pre and post games. The Mike Woodson show you also hosted when Mike Woodson was the coach. I miss him. Should have never got yeah. rid of him. And You're my guy. Yeah. 
he was such a great coach and it was just unfortunate yep. Phil Jackson came in here like a dictator and threw everyone out of the building it's sickening yep. should ruin his legacy it really should and we move into Awful. your ESPN radio 98.7 career you start out there you start filling in eventually you have on and Humpty Han Humpty and Canty and that actually wins an award from New York the broadcasting yeah that was nice we put a lot of work into that show we were middays we you know it was hard to uh, gain ground on FAN those days because, you know, we really, other than the, the Michael K show, we just never really had a strong footing uh, against the fan in any other now it's a layup. slot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's now it's a real competition. <laughs> really? But, you know, we did. No, it's a real competition. Like, we, we, never, we never had that until our show. And then we, you know, we really were making ground. And, you know, to get that recognition – as a, as a New York show was a big deal. And I loved working with those guys and it was such a great experience. Um, I moved on from, from that show eventually because it was hard to balance that. Like they moved this to an earlier time slot and it just was impossible to balance that and do Nick games at the same time. Um, so I left that show and it, it was, you know, another example, I left that show to go solo at night and I did that as sort of like let me take a step back and work on my hosting skills alone because mm -hmm. I'd never really been a host by myself and that's really where you learn how to be a, a radio host and I did that for a couple of years and it was like the greatest thing ever even though it felt like uh you know it felt like I was like taking a step back can be another it's like I keep talking about risks you take a risk like that because you could disappear fast um, and instead I felt like it made me better. And so when the Bart, when Bart Scott came and, and said he wanted to work with me and, you know, I jumped on that opportunity to work with Bart, it just made me better. So when I started with Bart two years ago, we hit the ground running. Like I was ready, more ready than ever before. And it was all because I took that time to take a step back and work on my skill set like sort of off the grid a little bit, even though it was on at night, still had a, you know, still had a fun audience. And the following I had was small, but passionate and we had a great time and it just, it allowed me to be better. So I, I can't say it enough. Like, don't be afraid to take these little risks, especially when you just know you have that voice in your head just telling you like, no, 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 this isn't right. This isn't right. You're being spread too thin. You're not, you're not being good at either job because of this. Don't do that. So I backed off one. I was able to stay, you know, stay focused on the Nick job and the MSG job and work on the radio thing to get me better at it. And now I can do both and it doesn't affect it because I'm ready for it now. So it's all, it's all just understanding where you are and who you are and not being afraid to take a risk when other people will tell you, are you crazy? You're going to leave a midday show where you guys are having success. You're going to leave that. Like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, I got to, I got to do it. And so I'm glad I did. And you prove the doubters wrong, of course. And then that's always a testament to how the real professionals do it in the industry. And, and that's an inspiration in and of itself. But I think we got to get into your other work. And, and, and then before we get into to your books that you wrote, how did you get the, the nickname on Solo? I'm curious. That, well. It's, it's easy with the last I mean, was, name, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the name itself. And then, of course, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I've always been. But uh, our program director at the station is Ryan Hurley. And Ryan Hurley, uh, who's a big Star Wars guy too, 
like he would when i went so when i went on my own like that was his thing he was like han solo like he just would say it and so i'm like i love it i'm like I, I, we should just we should just use that and he's like you can he's like it's Dis disney owned company disney's connected to the star wars you know uh um trilogy and he's like so we can use it so we did and it just caught on and it's become your your tag pretty much ever since but getting into the five books that you wrote throughout your career about the knicks the bruins the islanders are you thinking about writing a new book perhaps in the near future i wanted to i just it, and actually a friend of mine picked up the idea and, and he's he's a, close to almost having it done and i can't wait to read it um, my plan was to write about Pat Riley, Nixon, you know, the whole Riley, you know, era and how he left and why he left. And, you know, because I still say what, what, what could have been if they just gave him what he wanted, you know, because you see what, what he was able to build in Miami and he's still there running that franchise. If you just let him do that here, you know, what that, what, what, what could have been. So I wanted to write that. I was kind of talked out of it by some people who didn't feel like it was going to sell well nationally. Um, but aside from that, no, I'm, I'm, I, I just, it's writing a book takes a lot of time. And with two jobs now, I wrote books when I had one job, it was a little bit easier. Two jobs. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's a lot of work and a lot of time. I can imagine, man. And, you know, breaking in throughout to, to your career now, you know, we got to get into some hip hop talk here. So for the people that don't know, who is Alan Hans top five favorite rappers of all time? You're a New York guy. You're from Long Island, Smithtown, New York. Who are your top five rappers? Top five rappers is easy. Um, I got to go with, well, I, I'm not in no particular order. Um, I mean, to me, it's Rakim, it's Nas, it's Chuck D, it's LL, um, Eminem. Where am I at? Four. Mm -hmm. And it's it's hard to stop at five because there's this. I got a million others that I could really just throw it throw in five, but I mean, you know, whether it's Jay, whether it's uh, Karis One, um, you know, Q-Tip. I mean, there's just so many guys that should be in there that, you know, I'm leaving out, but you know, I, I could go on and on, but that's, yeah. yeah I mean, that I can get the, that, that four is my solid four. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I like that. That take is you didn't even put Jay-Z in your top four. Everyone has Jay-Z in their, in their list. No, always. I can't put Jay. I can't put Jay in the top. I, 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 I mean, he's, he's brilliant, but you, you know, I, I go with the legends. Like mm -hmm. I start with the legends and there is no, there is no Jay. Right. Without without Rakim and Nas. No, there isn't. You know what I mean? There, there is no Jay without Rakim and Nas. And Jay's a great storyteller, but it's just that's the way it is. I mean, I didn't I didn't even mention Biggie's name. No. You know, I didn't mention Pi. I didn't mention any of the West Coast guys. I mean, Ice Cube was, you know, a great lyricist, Dre. Like, you've got guys that were successful, but I'm talking about, you know, the best storytellers, Slick Rick, mm -hmm. you know, Shock G. Like, you've got a lot of, a lot of names that, it's, you know, I go with the legends and we go from that big daddy Kane. There's just so many legends that it's, it's just impossible to, so I go with the, all right, I'll go with the Mount Rushmore and that's, that's the Mount Rushmore. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, did I mention, you know, Andre 3000, like there's just so many names that I've left out of this thing that I'm already embarrassed to say, I didn't mention this single 
single member of the Wu-Tang Clan, right? Like no. not, not one guy, like, come on. So it just, that's, that's the problem is you just start saying to yourself, wait, I got to include this guy. Now your list is 20. So, you know, it, it, those it, are my it, four. If, I, if you're telling me I can only listen to four for the rest of my life, that's my four. That's your four. Now, when we go into hip hop albums, I'm curious to hear your top five hip hop albums of all time, because hip hop albums for me change when we talk about top hip hop artists of all time. Yeah, I think you're right, because it's what, you know, I always go with the no skip theory. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Nation of Millions, uh, low end theory. Um, um, I mean, Illmatic. Mm -hmm. um, you got me in a so now I'm rifling through my head right now I'll throw a few out there capital punch ahead, you throw them out uh, that was, that's not one in my wheelhouse like I'm older so I, I'm, I go you know like when I'm when I'm talking about something that's like it's I go music is comfort food the older you get Music is comfort food. Like, what do I listen to that I can vibe to? You know, that's that's why I, you know, I'll I'll go to places like Gangstar. Like, I'll go there. Okay. Because it's just to me, it's comfort food. Hard you know, to earn. De La Soul. You know, De La Soul is is comfort food. Mm -hmm. So it's that that's where I go. I mean, yeah, I mean. Enter the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers. I mean, Thirty Six Chambers is the other. Yeah, you know, that's obviously one. You put that on, and you're just done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, unfortunately, that's where it's at. Yeah. And hip-hop today, if you look at it, hip-hop today is in a terrible place. It's a dumpster fire. There's not even that many lyricists out here like there were in the, in the times of you growing up. Yeah, it's, it's, it certainly has changed. And the music's changed. The industry's changed. I love that some of the classic guys come back uh, and are making, like Nas just, just put, put out... Um, King, King, the KD2 is just so good. Mm -hmm. And he did it not just playing the old sound. He, you know, he he did bring some new sound into it, but it's the storytelling aspect to me that is the is what hip-hop's about that you just don't get. I mean, you just get not a lot of nonsense lyrics now. Like a lot of, you know, I call it mumble rap. Yeah, where that's... I don't know, what are you about? Hip-hop's a message. It's not mm -hmm. just a, you know, now it's just some beats and tones like you know beats and tones and then somebody singing slash whining slash you know whatever you know uh auto-tuning uh over like it you're not moving me with that so no. but that's me i'm old you know <laughs> younger people say no i like it so it's it's all it's all a matter of taste mm -hmm. I, and i agree with you on that i'm someone you know, being 22 i appreciate the legends first and foremost i'm a big boom bap new york hip-hop guy and that's what yeah. we need. So when there's artists out here today, I look at artists such as Dave East. And I don't know if you've heard of the new guys from Buffalo, Griselda, which is Westside Gun, Conway, and Benny the Butcher. Those guys can really rap. Again, it's it's all a matter of taste. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it it's it, to me, it's a matter of taste. And like I'll hear things that'll pique my interest, and I'll say, all right, I like that sound. And, you know, I mean, Kendrick Lamar will do that at times, but not all the time. No, I agree so with you So I on can't that. consume everything. You know, like, there's just some I like, but not everything. J. Cole, there's some I like, but not everything. Logic, I think he's brilliant, but I don't like everything he does. Mm -hmm. Just some things he does. 
You know, uh, I mean, a couple other names are slipping my mind right now, but you know, there's, there's, that's what it's become for me now, where in the old days, I used to just, if I heard one song, I liked the whole thing. Like I liked, you know, brand Nubian. Uh, I heard one song, I, the whole oh, album. I love. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's what it was. And then grand Puba would have an out. I already know. I like it. Like I already know. Whereas now I don't, I can't say that it's no. different. So it's, it is selective, but that's, that's why you don't buy albums anymore. Apparently. No, <laughs> it's why you, have the- you missed out. You missed out, man. It was something different about just being there, you know, Sam Goody or, or record world or whatever. And you're just going through the vinyl. Like that just, there was something cool about that. Now, instead of just, you know, downloading and staring at, you know, stare at your phone, hit play. It's too instant. Back yeah. then it was, you know, you're searching through it and you're just kind of like trying to find something. And it was a different feel. It was something yeah. cool about being able to do that. So yeah, it's the the, the culture is totally different too. You, the the clothing, yeah. the sneakers, everything, the, the skinny jeans. It's, it's it's horrible. But you look back at the vinyls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had third base. These guys were such oh, trendsenders for even for white MCs because if it wasn't for third base, yeah. there'd be no Eminem. Yeah, I love MC Search. He's hysterical, yet he's he's you know he's real, really talented. People never bring him up when they talk about you know M is M is obviously a you know, an entity up to himself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they talk about before Eminem, it's like, oh, Vanilla Ice. No. No. No, MC Search. MC Search was a, it was, a, I mean, he, he was like, they said, Larry Bird is clear. Like, MC Search is clear. Like, he, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't consider him a white rapper. He was just a rapper. Like, he yeah. was good. Like, Pete Nice. Like, they were, they, I felt like they were legends, yeah, you know, they but they just they had great flow. They were funny, but they were, they were, they were, yeah, the beats were good. Like the whole thing about them was great. So I didn't feel like it was, oh, it's a white rapper. No, he just rapped. Like it's, that's what he was. Whereas, you know, like Vanilla Ice or Snow, like that was, that was commercial stuff. Like that, that wasn't real. But third base, Pete Nice when he's on his own. And when Search went on his own, like I thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, a great storyteller, by the way. And I mean, just world class. So that to me was legendary. And then, so when M came around, I know everybody wanted to make a big deal because he, he did have the commercial appeal with some of his songs that he purposely just made commercial appeal to make money off of, but he hated that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the high my name is, he hates that stuff, but it, <laughs> it did so well because it was like this character, it was a slim shady character. But M as a, as a talent is a completely different, that's a completely different story than what people know to be slim shady. Like two different things completely, in my opinion. And so I don't look at Eminem and think, you know, white rapper. I just think of Eminem. Like Slim Shady's the white rapper. Eminem is Marshall Mathers. Like that's, he's just a legend. Yeah. He's just good. You know, I actually think Logic, talent wise, is off the charts. The problem with Logic is that he tries to have something to say, but I don't think he does. Mm -hmm. He doesn't move me, you know, like he doesn't affect me but he's so ridiculously talented that, you know, I find him to be really entertaining. Yeah. Logic is underrated. You bring him up. I haven't heard that name brought up in a while on my show. And I think logic is very, I hate very it. lyrical. Yeah. I hate that. I, I hate that. I hate that, that he doesn't get the same kind of respect. And it's mainly because, you know, he's got a lot of kids, like it's, it's a very young audience. So I think there was kind of like this disrespect because of his following but if you, when you talk about 
one of the greatest rappers alive, like as far as just off the top of the head, like just freestyle, just blow you away. I mean, I've, I've watched him solve a Rubik's Cube while freestyling. Like just, just Rubik's Cube while freestyling. How the hell he, like, it's insane. Thinking, like, thinking of what freestyling is hard on its own, but then to solve a Rubik's Cube while you're doing it on live radio. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, okay, you're 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 another level. So, you know, that's why I I don't think the way a lot of people think when it comes to to the hip hop world. I, I look at it, I, I look at it in a different way because I have a much different perspective, and I don't really allow barriers to get in the way of well, you know, somebody's certain following or what they look like. I care less. Yeah, you know, Slick Rick, Slick Rick sounds funny, but one of the greatest storytellers of all time just has a weird voice, but his storytelling off the charts. Yeah. The and great adventure to slick Rick is right up there. Top five hip hop album oh, yeah. of all time for me. Mona Absolutely. Lisa, Absolutely. Children's story. The moment I feared sure. the rulers back. Yeah. All of, all of it. And rulers back is actually the album that he had after that, after he got out of jail, that was damn good too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Pete rock, Pete rocks, somebody that I consider a friend. I love him. Um, he's a big Knicks fan. Mm-hmm. And I also tell him too, like he's a legendary beat maker that, that he, he's done beats for everybody. That's right. Uh, like heavy D and the boys, obviously he's done stuff with them, but when he got with CL smooth, CL smooth is a guy, you never talk about CL, right? Nobody no. ever talks about him, they don't. but in the nineties, one of the smoothest rappers ever, mm-hmm. ever just, just what, like the just flow that you would be, you're jealous of his flow, jealous of just how smooth he delivered. Yep. So they reminisce got, over you. Know, you. Like, that's right. Yeah, one of their classics. So, like I said, that that's you know when, when I'm asked about what do I like and all that, I'm not typical. So, the typical thing is like, oh sure, you know Jay Z and Tupac and Biggie and you know, um, you know everybody else like from you know where's DMX in that conversation and all that's where's pun. I, I, yeah, I, again. I love those guys. I love Fat Joe. Like, I love Pun. I love that stuff. I, I love, honestly, like, they just did a versus. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I love all that stuff. You know, honestly, Jules and all them, like, I love that. Mm-hmm. But I go back to, but be, be, they wouldn't be that if there wasn't this. Cool G Rap, the Juice Crew. <laughs> then you go way back. Yeah. <laughs> Classic stuff. Ultra magnetic, yeah. MC, so cool, Keith. Yeah, again, you know, you can just go on and on. Classic stuff, man. It, it really is. I, I wish hip hop would come back to where it is now, but it's everything is so equity with money and revenue nowadays with these record labels. They push out all these artists that are doing numbers on social media. Well, it's yeah, but that's again, it's just the world you live in. Yeah, you know, it's 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 just where we are. It's it's the business. It's the world you live. You got that right. Alan Hahn, is there anything else you would love to let the audience you, you you missed out on, you know, the real something different about getting, you know, getting the music. Just about everything possible. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yes, any anything else you want you have anything to promote anything? No, I'm good. No. Like I said, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. And you're always welcome. And actually let them know where they can follow you on Instagram and Twitter. You want you want to make sure that the listeners get to follow you too. 
Sure. It's my name, at, uh, you know, Alan Hahn on Twitter, Ahan MSG on, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there you have it. And then let's hope that Zach Ertz gets traded to the Jets. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen now. Oh, well. Yeah, no, even I've been, you know, trust me, I agree with you on that. He's been a name linked to that team for a while. But Alan Hahn, I appreciate your time, man. I really enjoyed our interview and I, I look forward to everything that you got coming in the future and in, in the radio show is number one in New York awesome. in my opinion. Thanks, bud. I appreciate it. Good luck to you. All Thanks, the best. man. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. You too. Yeah.